1: And they'll do a great job for you as well. Visit the website, Johnson's Air conditioning.com Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yatman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. Michael Cannon is the uh, uh, director of health studies at the Cato Institute. And we'll also visit with Dave Vigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is April the second and on this day in, in fifteen thirteen, near present day Saint Augustine, Spanish explorer Ponce de, de Leon, came ashore on the Florida coast and claimed the territory for the Spanish crown. Native Americans inhabited the area and that became known as Florida for thousands of years before any European contact. Although other European navigators may have sighted the Florida peninsula before, Ponce de Leon is credited with the first recorded landing and the first detailed exploration of the Florida coast. The Spanish explorer was searching, of course, for the Fountain of Youth, a fabled water source that was said to bring eternal youth. Ponce de Leon named the peninsula he believed to be an island, La Florida, because his discovery came during the time of the Easter Feast, or Pascua, Florida. In 1521, he returned to Florida, in an effort to establish a Spanish colony on the island. However, hostile Native Americans attacked his expedition soon after landing, and the party retreated to Cuba, where Ponce de Leon died from a mortal rumpse, a wound suffered during the battle. Successful Spanish colonization of the peninsula finally began in St. Augustine in 1565, and in 1819, the territory passed into U.S. control under the terms of the Florida Purchase Treaty between Spain and In the United States. That's background on Florida. Uh, Senator Rand Paul on Wednesday ripped Dr. Anthony Fauci for calling on Americans to continue wearing masks even after receiving their COVID-19 vaccinations. The Kentucky Republican, who also happens to be a doctor, cited a study that found evidence people who have been vaccinated or had the virus are protected even from different strains of the virus. In a post on Twitter, Paul linked a preprint of a study by the National Institute of Health. Fauci, an immunologist and director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at the NIH, served on the former President Trump's White House Coronavirus Task Force and is now Biden's chief medical advisor on COVID-19. Dr. Fauci, great news, T-cell immunity after a natural infection shown to include variants, Paul wrote in Twitter, do we still need to wear masks after mask, after we've recovered or have been vaccinated, a study, which has not been peer-reviewed, found that virtually all anti-SARS COVID-V2 uh, uh, T-cell responses should recognize these newly described variants. Still, the authors of the study note its findings are based on sa- uh, limited sample size. Earlier this month, Paul blasted Fauci for pushing masks for after vaccination. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them you can quit wearing your mask after you get the vaccine, Paul said in a Senate hearing. You want people to get get the vaccine? Give them a reward instead of telling them they have the nanny states going to be there for three more years and you've got to wear a mask forever. People don't want to hear it. There's no science behind it. Thank you, Rand Paul. Of course, Fauci said, well, hey, I totally disagree with you. Well, based on what, uh, Dr. Fauci? Well, uh, Rand Paul's not alone. Uh, Representative Mark Meadows, the ex-White House chief of staff, continued his fierce criticism of Dr. Fauci on Wednesday, wondering aloud why the nation's top disease expert has been so quiet on the COVID-19 dangers unraveling at the southern border. Uh, There was no policy, medical or otherwise, that Dr. Fauci wouldn't weigh in on when President Trump was in the White House. He said, but curious, we haven't heard from the same Dr. Fauci on Joe Biden releasing thousands of COVID untested migrants into the United States. Meadows, of course, was referring to the reports of migrants overwhelming the U.S. border uh, along the uh, southern border. Representative Henry Cuellar, a Democrat from Texas, said all at least 2,000 migrants have been released without full information on any upcoming court proceedings Oh, I'm sure it's a lot more than 2,000. He said agents are overwhelmed. The New York Post also reported that 2,000 were released without evidence of submitting a COVID-19 test. So, Dr. Fauci, where are you on this issue? We want to hear from you. <laughs> Not really. It's hard to believe anything you say anymore. Florida uh, Governor Ron DeSantis is demanding President Joe Biden stop releasing criminal illegal aliens and directing state agencies to notify local law enforcement every time a criminal illegal alien is released in their community as a result of Biden's sanctuary county orders. During a press conference with Angel Families on Thursday, DeSantis announced directives to uh, state agencies in an attempt to ensure that criminal illegal aliens are not released in Florida communities. In February, top officials at the Immigration and Customs Enforcement uh, Agency, or ICE, announced sanctuary county orders that prevent agents from arresting and deporting about 9 in 10 illegal aliens who would otherwise be deported. DeSantis called Biden's orders a reckless policy and a disregard for public safety and the rule of law during the press conference and in a letter to the administration. These are convicted felons who are here illegally, DeSantis said. "If, If you can't remove them, then what do you have? Just a complete lawless system and a complete open border In his letter, DeSantis wrote uh, that potentially 50 criminal illegal aliens could be released in Florida communities following their prison sentences over the next month thanks to Biden's order. He doesn't want that to happen. Over the next six months, he said it could be potentially 200 criminal illegal aliens being released in Florida. Again, DeSantis standing up uh, and being so strong for Floridians, so uh, pleased that he is our governor. By the way, if you did notice, the S and P 500 closed above 4,000 for the first time in history this week. These big milestones for U.S. stocks are often derided as not very meaningful, but can be psychological barriers for markets. Breaking above a threshold can be a sign of confidence in the economy. Currently, U.S. stocks are now enjoying the boost from the third round of stimulus spending. Fed then promises to be supportive for years to come. Vaccinations spreading to even larger segments of the population, and an economy that is outperforming almost everyone's expectations. Thursday's ISM Manufacturing Survey was the latest piece of evidence that the economy is firing on several cylinders. The headline uh, number jumped to the best reading since 1983. That's pretty impressive, with strong readings in new orders, production, and employment. The numbers were also strong so strong that they are feeding into fears that the economy could overheat and produce too much inflation. Uh, I don't think so. Or maybe this uh, it could be an outlier, this particular reading from the uh, manufacturers. There are still danger signs outside of inflation. Economists have forecast that the initial jobless claims number released Thursday would indicate in- continued improvement in the labor market with a median estimate of 675,000 claims. Instead, claims moved up to 719,000. And the total number of people claiming unemployment benefits remaining staggeringly high at more than 18 million. Of course, unfortunately, it makes it profitable not to work for many. But tomorrow's monthly jobs report, that would be today's, is expected to show a tidal wave of hiring with 650,000 workers added to the payrolls and unemployment falling to 6%. Let's just hope that happens. On Wednesday, a new conservative coalition launched a website aiming at combating woke capital cancel culture. StopCorporateTyranny.org That's the website, StopCorporateTyranny.org aims to educate Americans on the dangers of far-left advocacy and corporate America and equip them to fight back against the swelling tide of the woke inquisition. The coalition backed to neutral includes organizations and leaders fed up with the left weaponizing big business to achieve political goals, and we've all seen it with Nike and and other companies. We've watched with growing concern the left's efforts to infiltrate corporate boardrooms and use their power to force their agenda on America everywhere. Justin Danhoff, general counsel of the American Center for Public Policy Research, said in a statement on the launch, We are drawing a line. It's time to hold corporate America accountable. For canceling conservatives, we seek to restore a healthy understanding of and respect for liberty, free enterprise, and American culture, all of which is being corrupted by corporate oligarchs. Couldn't agree more. Good for you. From uh, Disney's double standard in firing Gina Carano to Amazon's shameful reliance on the Southern Poverty Law Center, it seems corporations are bowing to the radical left's orthodoxy with abandon. In fact, a large coalition has already gathered to boycott Georgia over its voter integrity law. And that law has there's nothing that's that law is good. And yet they're making claims about the law, the Jim Crow suppression of of uh, voters and so forth. It's just unbelievable. Even President Biden calling for a cancellation or withdrawal of the uh, All-Star game in baseball from Atlanta. And of course, There's also, he made comments on uh, the Masters Tournament coming up. Well, I don't think they'll have much influence on the Masters Tournament, but they've been through this wokeness stuff before and uh, stood tall. But in any event, this is a great movement, and I'm so pleased. Steve Sokup is the author of a new book, The Dictatorship of Woke Capital, How Political Correctness Captured Big Business. And he wants to uh, to see this all stop. So it's a great movement. I'm very pleased about it. They've got some great folks on board, like retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, uh, and the Capital Research Center's Kristen uh, or Kristen Eastlick, and Competitive Enterprise Institute's Richard Morrison. So uh, let's let's get on board and support this effort. I think it's a good deal. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. To find out more, visit lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. LuluBees.com and stop by LuluBees Diner open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. LuluBees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by LuluBees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Hearing that uh, commercial about t- St. Matthew's House reminded me of Lulu Bees We had breakfast, uh, Andy, Jopp, and I, this week. Just a great place to have breakfast or lunch at the Green Tree Shopping Center. Lulu Bees Also, try out Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. ChoiceSocial.us is the website. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us William Yatman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me on, Bob.
1: Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
2: You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., <clears throat> and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government.
1: Cato.org is the website, cat So, William, we've got this uh, plan now, the infrastructure plan or non-infrastructure plan, tax plan, whatever it might be. Love to get your comments and thoughts about it.
2: Well, I think you introduced it aptly, um, a non-infrastructure plan. So uh, President Biden rolled this out. This is actually phase one of his infrastructure plan. It's a $2 trillion Uh, bill, or proposed bill, that he rolled out this week in Pittsburgh. We've discussed, I guess, the last three weeks, uh, this pending infrastructure plan. and We've noted repeatedly how little it has to do with infrastructure Mm -hmm. as people normally think of infrastructure. Um, So to be specific, this is a $2 trillion proposal of which only $115 billion, or about 6%, is given to actual roads, bridges, and the like. Mm -hmm. Um, And the rest is given to social engineering, Mm -hmm. Um, in particular, about a trillion dollars for climate change. So it it doesn't really bear a relationship with infrastructure projects that, again, voters uh, and lawmakers have dealt with time immemorial. Um. It really is. Uh, I don't think Mitch McConnell nor President Donald Trump were off when they both used the term Trojan horse. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the bill shares a lot of similarities with the putative COVID stimulus in that so little of it, just as with the COVID stimulus, is dedicated to uh, the avowed goal, just as it, with the COVID stimulus, only a small portion was dedicated to fighting the pandemic, um, but the rest was basically a progressive wish list. So is this infrastructure bill. I mean, yeah. it's very little to do with infrastructure and a great deal to do with social engineering.
1: Yeah, I look forward to talking to uh, Dave Beagle later, later in the show. Uh, he fought the uh, unions uh, when they tried to unionize his shop, SEIU, and uh, included in this, in this bill is the uh, backing of unions and trying to get rid of right to work and unionize. <laughs> it's, it, it actually looks like a blueprint to try and create uh, the United States as a socialist country.
2: That you bring up a great point. Um, I, so, what you're referring to is within the proposal. Um, a pitch to repeal right-to-work laws Mm -hmm. in in all 50 or, you know, wherever those laws exist, primarily in in the American South. But that, to me, draws another perfect parallel to the COVID stimulus, which, if you recall, included a $15 minimum wage until the parliamentarian of the Senate ruled that it it wasn't sufficiently uh, sufficiently, uh, uh, related to the budget to be included in the bill. But... My point is, what the heck does uh, repealing right-to-work laws, which, again, has long been a progressive goal, have to do with an infrastructure bill? That just doesn't make any sense.
1: No, it doesn't. Um, You
2: know, just as a $15 minimum wage had no connection whatsoever to addressing COVID. So Mm -hmm. those are the sorts of proposals, sort of wild-eyed grab bag, if you will, um, of, of what are really liberal, long-held liberal priorities that have been stuffed first into that COVID bill, putative yeah. kind of COVID bill, and now into this putative infrastructure bill.
1: Uh, no question. Of course, the tax plan is going to be the biggest increase in in U.S. history. And increasing the uh, corporate tax, it sounds rather benign, taking it up to, I think it's 28%, if I'm not mistaken, was is the plan from 21% where it is now. I mean that, that is a uh, that's a middle class tax. Uh, the, all those taxes are simply passed on to, to the consumer, and uh, in terms of different uh, additional costs, and it it's also an incentive for country companies to either leave the United States or to uh, not come here as a consequence of uh, having to pay more taxes.
2: Well, indeed. Uh, so I'll note this. It's and this has become the. Uh, primary GOP talking point in lining up opposition to the bill it's that uh, is this what the economy needs right now is a major tax increase I mean that doesn't necessarily make a great deal of sense given mm-hmm. the state of our post-COVID economy um, but I'll also note this it's uh, GOP's opposing this bill because it's a, a has nothing to do with infrastructure and because it would raise taxes um, but that's not the only opposition that Biden's infrastructure proposal is currently facing. Um, progressive Democrats, mm-hmm. including AOC and, and Senator uh Ed Markey from Massachusetts, they're outraged that it only spends a trillion dollars mm-hmm. on climate change. Mm-hmm. Um that they, they want that increased by ten. They they propose ten trillion dollars in the infrastructure bill uh, for climate change. Uh, And at the same time, there's other Democrats, Democrats from high-tax states. Um, They're refusing to go along with any infrastructure plan that doesn't um, return the the state and local tax deduction to what it was before the the Trump tax cuts or changes in the tax regime. Um, The upshot, what I'm trying to say here, is that it's not just the Republican opposition that Biden's non-infrastructure plan is going to have to deal with. Um, there are also a number of uh, Democratic con- constituencies that are lining up against this bill, so it, it, it appears to be an uphill climb politically.
1: Hmm, interesting. I wonder if there's enough fissure in the uh, in the Democratic uh, Party right now, or, or division, into uh, somehow I hope so. for it to stall this thing. Well, I, I hope so too, because this is would be disastrous, and I'm still deeply concerned about uh, the. Uh, uh, nuclear option or getting rid of the uh, uh, requirement for 60% of the votes uh, in in the uh, Senate. Big concern.
2: If I might uh, just speak to that super quick, um, in lieu of jettisoning jettisoning the filibuster, uh, Chuck Schumer has now asked the parliamentarian whether or not he can interpret the, the the rules of procedure such that he can, we've spoken about it before, this reconciliation mechanism by which mm-hmm. um, the the Democrats and the majority of the House and the Senate, they can avoid a filibuster. Um, it's sort of a procedural sleight of hand. To date, it has always been understood that reconciliation can only be used twice um, in a year. Uh, well, in essence, Schumer is asking the Senate parliamentarian, who would have the ultimate decision-making when it comes to interpreting the Congress's rules, he's asking um, for, uh, to advance an interpretation of Senate rules that would allow him to use reconciliation as many times as he wants to. Um, so uh, that it, I agree with you 100% that jettisoning the filibuster is an awful, terrible idea, um, but I do, I guess there's a scary alternative, which is Schumer's trying to achieve the same end, but with a, a sort of a procedural interpretive mm-hmm. sleight of hand.
1: Well, thanks for that clarification. Uh, before I let you go, I would love to get your comments. It looks like uh, uh, Biden wants us to stay all masked up. He wants, you know, certainly we're not hearing much from the, the uh, uh, what's happening on the border of Dr. Fauci. Uh, <laughs> the point being, uh, he does, certainly doesn't want uh, full stadiums. He's pretty very critical of... Uh, the, uh, uh, the Texas Rangers having full stadium for opening day. So uh, any thoughts? Uh, my main
2: thought would be, you know, first, why is the president weighing in on uh, uh, the, the status of the Texas Rangers ballpark? Right. Um, that seems like an issue that is best left to Texas officials. Um, second, it gives me great concern uh, that just as we, we've discussed a number of times that line, never let a crisis go to waste. Um, I, I crave as to, I, I assume, millions of Americans and your listeners a return to normalcy, and, and I do hold on. I'm not impugning the President's motives, and it's certainly speculation, but it is something that worries me, um, the, the, the prospect of, of never having to return to normalcy because it, it, it provides a crisis that a that, uh, political party cannot let, you know, that the, the, could then leverage to achieve their policies. Yeah. Um. So it just to the extent that it, it indicates the president is uh, wavering, perhaps. Um. You know, in many speeches, he's given clarion calls for, for the United States to return to normalcy. This doesn't comport with those words at all, and,
1: and you know, it does worry me a bit. Absolutely. Again, William Yabin, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, we always appreciate your most informed and interesting commentary. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. Michael's also with the Cato Institute. He's the Director of Health Studies. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It is brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. He is a director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. You know, I've had, I've had some interesting experiences uh, going through uh, right now, recovery from back surgery, which I had on February the 15th. It's all going very well. It was serious surgery because I was under anesthesia for about six hours, so uh, the recovery process is slow. But I'm finding out that uh, it's so interesting how Medicare plays a role in the recovery process and what it covers and it doesn't cover. Any comments? Yeah, so the,
3: the Medicare program is the coverage that it offers is a really strange animal because it's it's coverage that probably no one would pick if they were selecting among uh, plans in an open marketplace. Yeah, it's a, it's coverage that is based on the Blue Cross Blue Shield coverage that was available back in 1965, huh. and. And the, uh, the political imperatives uh, that, that surrounded getting a bill through Congress back then. So with Medicare, instead of just having one insurance policy, you've got really multiple programs under that umbrella. You've got Medicare Part A, which is hospital insurance, which has its own rules about what it'll pay for and how it'll pay for those things. And then you've got Medicare Part B, which covers uh, physician Services and you pay a premium for Medicare Part B. There are also rules about what that does and doesn't cover, Mm. and uh, there, uh, there's in addition to that, Congress about 20 years ago created uh, prescription drug coverage in Medicare, taking a lot longer to offer drug coverage than the private sector did, and and within each of these silos, you've got. Coverage rules that uh, that people probably wouldn't uh, uh, pick right now. Things like uh, it turns out that Medicare does not cover a lot of things that you uh, uh, might like. Unlike Obamacare, there is no out-of-pocket maximum in the Medicare program. That it does leave you on the hook for uh, uh, some catastrophic expenses.
1: Yeah, so- and
3: and and yet, even though there are gaps in Medicare coverage. Uh, A lot of people, a lot of researchers uh, who look at Medicare uh, complain that it leaves you too insulated from the cost of care so that you don't make, uh, so that Medicare enrollees don't make careful judgments about whether this service is necessary or not. Uh, They just end up consuming more and more services because they are so heavily insured, uh, not just because of Medicare, but also because people purchase Supplemental policies that fill fill in those gaps mm. in Medicare coverage because there are so many gaps
1: yeah.
3: that uh, that some people end up being over you know completely insured overinsured, uh, and and that leads to a lot of overutilization and it can uh, jeopardize people's health if they receive too many services uh, that offer um, very little benefit including I mean, services I mean- that offer very little benefit because. When you're consuming those services, it just presents risk.
1: Yeah. Now, let, let me uh, mention that, uh, uh, first, when I left the hospital after my surgery, I didn't get a bill. I, said, I asked us, Can I, st- I want to stop by and just kind of settle up and get, get a copy of the bill. Well, that's not available to you. And it, uh, I had to actually ask for a copy of the bill. And it's a very, uh, it's it's a, it's not uh, full disclosure. It's not, uh, what, it's not out on the sunshine. I mean, it's like basically I got a, a statement saying, well Medicare was going to cover this amount. everything else has got to be covered by you or the hospital uh, and it was it, you know in other words it was, a, it, was a, it was very strange to me and then I visited my physical therapist, which by the way, this guy's great I really 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 appreciated him uh, he got started yesterday and, and I and he said well have you had home care?" I said, yeah he said, well home care is covered by part A. Uh, but since you haven't used uh, physical therapy or like this before you, that's part B so you you have a, a, a apparently there's a sum of money that could be used for physical therapy which by the way I need pretty pretty badly <laughs> So I guess my point is uh, why is everything it seems to me what I would prefer? is have a very transparent, that was the word I was seeking, very transparent system where we all have some skin in the game, we're concerned about the costs of everything, and uh, we make our choices based not only on the quality of care, but also on the cost of care. Well, the
3: reason we don't have that is because the government is so heavily involved in, uh, in health care. The government defines what your Medicare coverage is going to look like, whether you stay in traditional Medicare or purchase a Medicare Advantage plan, which is a the part of Medicare where private insurance companies manage your Medicare benefits. In both cases, the government is deciding what kind of benefits you're going to get yep. and heavily subsidizing them so that uh, you end up with... Uh, more coverage than you would have chosen if the government had just given you the money and said, you use this money to go buy a health insurance plan that you like. If the government did that, then more people would be ch- choosing more co- more catastrophic plans or more managed care plans
2: mm-hmm.
3: that maybe cover fewer things and rely on more uh, out-of-pocket uh, uh, expenses or, or uh, where you... Are on the hook for more out of uh, for paying for more of your medical care out of pocket, whether through higher deductibles or cost sharing, or uh, in a managed care plan. uh, People would be choosing managed care plans that use more managed care tools like utilization review and so forth, so that we would all be more cost conscious. uh, And and that's those are the sort of plans that we would be purchasing if. Medicare, we're just giving you cash like Social Security does. But because Medicare is giving people coverage, the government has to define what that coverage is. And everybody wants more and more coverage because the government is paying rather than that. Right. And that's and, and, why we end up not only with more comprehensive coverage than is efficient and wise, but also coverage that just doesn't match the uh, people's values and what they would be choosing for themselves.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, what I believe is the cost of care would would, uh, drop precipitously if, in fact, the uh, system that you just recommended, which is just having a distribution of funds for us to buy our own insurance rather than using Medicare, the cost of care would drop precipitously. Uh, One of the things I I had a conversation with a woman, she said, uh, have you had your annual physical? That somehow came up. I said, I don't get an annual physical. (laughs) <laughs> she said why not it's free the government pays for it. it's not free you know so there's so many things going on that are just there's so much money involved of course just in in the in the specter of what's might happen here in the next couple of days or in the next month or so with trillions of dollars going out like this we're talking about pennies here but it's still extremely costly and though it, it's a very expensive system
3: uh, I was at a dinner table last night when one of my children said, there's no such thing as a free lunch.
1: Ah, good for
3: him or her. I was a proud papa, <laughs> and there's no such thing as a free physical eater.
1: You are so right. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure you've mentioned this to Congress, or you've uh, this whole notion of just uh, instead of uh, giving us Medicare, let us just buy our own insurance, just send us the money. Does that have any traction at all? Is that going to get anywhere?
3: So the Medicare program already includes an element of that sort of a system because it lets you choose either traditional Medicare or the Medicare Advantage program, which is a lot like giving you a voucher and letting you take that to whichever health plan you want. So there is support, there's a lot of support in Congress for the Medicare Advantage program. Forty percent of Medicare enrollees enroll in one of these private Medicare Advantage plans. And Congress has talked in the past about beefing up that that voucher program, making that voucher more explicit, and uh, and and so there's some support for that approach. And there's a lot of support, obviously, in Congress for Social Security, which is a program that just gives seniors cash. And so I don't think it's that great a leap for Congress to say, you know what, we're gonna we're, we're gonna take what works from Social Security and apply it to Medicare,
1: hmm, and we
3: are going to uh, give. Everybody in Medicare, uh, a, a a cash check, uh, you know, a, a, a check for a certain amount in cash that will allow every in Medicare enrollee to purchase a basic package of benefits. That means sicker people get bigger checks so that they can afford the more expensive premiums that uh, an insurance company might charge them. And, uh, and I think that you're right. Once we do that, we are going to see prices plummet. We're going to see prices fall for health insurance. We're going to see prices fall for medical services, including knee replacements, which you just went through. There is research, I think I've mentioned it on your show before, that shows that when you make consumers of knee surgery Mm -hmm. cost-conscious, the prices for those services dropped dramatically by 37% over two years in
1: some cases. And I think that's just a small sampling. Again, Michael Cannon, uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute, such an important topic for us to discuss. Michael, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to have a visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil on Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show, here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees... Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too.
0: Bob
1: Hartman. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the Foundation for Government Accountability's board, and they have a great organization doing great things. Among other things, they are creating policies and programs to get able bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And it's really hard to get off. Once you're on welfare, uh, then you start losing more than a dollar's benefit for every dollar you earn. Uh, we're helping to change that, and you can find out more about the program by visiting thefga.org. dot org. org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of "The Devil at Our Doorstep." Such an interesting story, uh, the book that he wrote about the uh, dealing with the travails of and dirty tricks of union bosses from SEIU over the course of two and a half years. Uh, they uh, attacked. Uh, Through the newspaper, his uh, customers, they attacked his company. They uh, uh, approached his employees. It was just, uh, you just can't believe, you can't make this stuff up. So Dave's got such an interesting story to to tell him, so we'll be talking about union activities. Crime is soaring in cities where police departments have been defunded. Uh, Movements to defund the police have grown since George Floyd died in, in police custody in Minneapolis. The funding means reallocating or redirecting funding away from the police department to other government agencies funded by the local municipality. More than 20 major cities have reduced their police budgets in some form through the scale and circumstances vary. Uh, just this week, the uh, Los Angeles Police Department, I believe it was, got rid of their, uh, their uh, uh, <laughs> what's the word I'm seeking. Uh, the, the group of uh, uh, the the uh, uh, well, I'll think of it in a second. Anyhow, the results have not fared well in Los Angeles, Oakland, New York City, Portland, and Austin. Homicides in Oakland, California, have risen 314 percent compared with the same time last year, and law enforcement has seen another 113 percent increase in firearms assaults. Uh, so, violent crime surged in 2020 in Minneapolis following Floyd's death, and murders have risen by 46% between December 11, 2020 and March twenty-eighth of this year, compared to the same period last year. Uh, the Minneapolis City Council in, in December shifted approximately $8 million from the police department to other programs. In July, it diverted $1.1 million from the police department's $193 million budget to the Office of Violence Prevention. Murders have tripled. They've tripled from July 2020 to February 2021 in Portland, where city commissioners last May voted to cut nearly $16 million from the police budget in response to complaints about police force and racial injustice. 17 people have been murdered in Portland in the first two months of 2021. That's a 1,600% increase from the own, uh, one murder reported in the same period in 2020. So this is a just remarkable uh, gang gang violence is what I was trying to think of before uh, how Los Angeles has cut back its gang violence uh, unit. I think that's that new uh, attorney general. Uh, uh, what's his name? By Garson, if I'm not mistaken. In any event, uh, he's boy. There's going to be a lot of crime as a result of what he's doing there in uh, Los Angeles. New York City seen 76 murders this year alone, compared with 68 from just the same period in 2020. The City Council in July approved slashing $1 billion in the police budget, budget which included nearly $484 million in cuts and $354 million reallocated to other agencies. Best position to carry out the duties. This is just unbelievable stuff. Los Angeles Police Department reported a 38% increase in murders in 2020 and a 28.3% increase in murders in 2021 through March the 13th. In Austin, where the city council voted to cut roughly one-third of the city's $434 million police budget, aggravated assault reports were up 26%. You see the correlation here? I certainly do. That if you don't have, uh, you need police, number one, Uh, Police just don't go out and deal with criminals. They actually are members of the community, and they walk and talk and get to know folks in the community. And uh, there's a comfort level that's developed with uh, the police or sheriff's office, as we have here in Collier County. So uh, to me, we need law and order. And how do you maintain law and order? Well, you need a presence of uh, the police force or the uh, sheriff's office in order to uh, demonstrate uh, they're guarding the community. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs, and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692 9840 or visit the website, nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. <clears throat> Welcome back to the Bob
0: Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Dave Bigo. He's the author of a terrific read. It's called The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's about the travails of dealing with union bosses from SEIU over the course of two and a half years. Dirty tricks. You can't, you can't even make up the stuff that uh, Dave put up with and his business over the course of that two and a half year period because he just refused to sign a neutrality agreement, which would have given union bosses the op- the permission to go by and sign up his employees, Uh, intimidate them into becoming union members, once they got 50% plus one, they would be unionized. I'm talking about his business executive management services, doing business in over 40 states and over 6,000 employees. So certainly they wanted to unionize him. Well, he wouldn't sign that document. And that's why this, this this nonsense all prevailed. They ended up giving up and walking away after two and a half years. The name of the book is The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
4: Thanks, Bob, and thanks for uh, talking about my book. And people should buy it and read it uh, because it tells them what's going on in this country today. It's the same tactics they've used against this country. And, um, you know, it's um, it's sad what's going on in this country today. And it, my book won't be um, advertised or promoted at all because the media is controlled by the unions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And well, as I mentioned, it's a great read. The Devil at our do- You can get a copy at thedevilatourdoorstep.com. Or on my website at a nice discount as well. I just mentioned that, Dave. Uh, You know, I noticed that uh, in the infrastructure bill, which is kind of a non-infrastructure bill, as we talked about earlier in the show, only about 6% of the money actually goes to infrastructure. Uh, One of the things that uh, Biden wants is to uh, uh, make it easy to unionize and to get rid of right-to-work and uh, right-to-work states. Uh, You know, it looks like this is a full-on assault on free enterprise.
4: Well, that's right, and you know that's the other thing that the unions are doing with the PRO Act uh, that uh, you know Congress passed, but it hasn't gone through the Senate yet, and would in- implement the same program that uh, the uh, SEIU used against us. You know, signing a neutrality agreement, to go to card card check, and they're doing all that to take control of America and bring this country down. The far left, Bob, and. Uh, you know and you see what they're doing in our school system with the teachers unions and the kids not getting back to school not taking care of them that this is cuz it's all about them and um, brainwashing and rat- rat- making our kids radicals and stuff like that yeah. and um you know they they want to bring this country down and and i have to tell you all, all the presidency um it, it's it's basically this i got an article that uh i read um just uh, yesterday, I believe it was. It's called the radical left did not steal the presidency; they eliminated it, and, um, hmm. and what they basically say is Biden has no ability to be president. Neither does Harris, and that the left is controlling the presidency behind the scenes, which the unions are a big part of
1: that. Yeah, well, there's no question about that. I mean, here we are in Good Friday. Uh, this is a the sacred time for Christians and for uh, folks uh, who are committed to. Uh, Uh, Christianity, Uh, to me it sounds like, uh, it just almost feels like uh, this is a curse of evil that's on our country.
4: Well, it is, and um, I don't know if you've seen, but I've seen um, a a TV show and uh, I've seen some articles um, here in the past week that um, say that in this country, less than um, 50% of the American people now uh, go to church or whatever, you know, if they're Muslim going to their mosque or whatever it may be, uh, that uh, religion is being uh, downgraded and eliminated in this country because of uh, what's going on in America with the left and that. And, um, you know, that's sad. And back, you know, uh, 20, 30 years ago, uh, not even that long ago, uh, over 70% of people always went uh, to church or to their, whatever their religion was, okay? Mm, Yeah. And uh, to their place of worship. And uh, that's being eliminated by the left, and we all as Americans should stand up today and praise our Lord for what He did on Good Friday, and look forward to His resurrection and ascension into heaven on Sunday.
1: Absolutely. Well, Dave, uh, I mean, uh, can, can you make any? You want to make any comments at all about uh, about uh, Biden's plans now for America, and, and for example, the uh, the infrastructure program and the, uh, the the recommendations that he's proposing.
4: I I think it's all um, garbage, Bob. I think it's just this is all stuff that's being written behind the scenes by the left, and um, you know, um, if you if you notice when he speaks, he can hardly go through and and stay uh, online and competent at at talking about this stuff and what it actually means in that. But um, what it is all about is putting things into place and. and they won't use this money for everything they say they're going to use it for they're going to use it for what they want to do mm-hmm. and again at the end of the day they're they want to bring this country down and turn it into a socialist communist country without god in it
1: well you know and it looks like there's nothing that's going to get in the way right now biden he's demonstrating absolutely no concern for american opinion or the public opinion supporting his programs he's just reeling this stuff off and uh, he's not appealing to the public at all. In fact, he won't do press conferences. Uh, they, they had a cabinet meeting, and uh, after two minutes of comments, he, he threw the press out. They've so, so I guess my point is this, that he's demonstrating no concern whatsoever about public opinion. He's going to push through this agenda at all costs, and it'll be at the cost of the American people.
4: Well, that's exactly right. And he, like I said, he's being controlled. Uh, he's not actually exercising the powers of, of the presidency and pushing back on these people, and he's not making any of the decisions. and the, And the bottom line, Bob, he's not capable of doing either.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, I mean, Jen Psaki uh, mentioned on Friday that this infrastructure bill uh, is uh, indeed about much more than infrastructure. She said, confronted on small roads, bending and, uh, building and spending, uh, she conceded Biden's plan is is not about infrastructure. She said uh, the only about 5% of the spending is on uh, going towards bridges. Uh, I'm curious, the reporter asked, as to why it's so low. And she said, well, we're actually selling it as a once-in-a-century or once-in-a-generation investment in partly our infrastructure but partly industries of the future. So they're looking to rebuild the entire country. They're pushing through a Green New Deal, they're looking to eliminate, I think, free enterprise and to uh, to establish a socialist in, uh, con- company country.
4: Well, that's exactly right, Bob, and that's what I'm saying. Uh, they want to take down this country and do it the way they want to do it, and um, you know, and, and bills like this are all, uh, uh, you know, they way they're, they're trying to do it through through biden and they know that biden can't control anything he doesn't have the power the guts to stand up to him and they're just uh making him do what they want to do and they're they're the ones that are writing this bills so it isn't yeah. biden yeah. He, he is just the face on the tv is all he is
1: yeah yeah absolutely right you know i uh, just to encourage our listeners to uh, read your book it's called the devil at our doorstep Again, the website is thedevilatourdoorstep.com. You get the book at a nice discount on my website. Of course, or any book purveyors anywhere, I just encourage you to read the book because it's most informative, and I think it really tells the story. The unions are using the same tactics that right now the Democrat Party is using to uh, overturn America. Dave, I always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Well, thanks, Bob, and have a good week, and God bless. God,
1: God bless, bless indeed man. as well. Thank you, Dave. Well, that's our wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. On Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Always interesting conversations about what's happening globally. We'll visit with Larry Reed. Larry is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to discuss a very interesting guy uh, who saved uh, the, uh, uh, the industry of silk industry in Thailand and then just disappeared. Interesting story. We'll also visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books. His two latest are Follow the Leader and its sequel, Murder Mystery, uh, Shake the Money Tree. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. If you'd like to be on the distribution list for the uh, email I send out after each show, again, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you have a pleasant, great weekend, and spirit-filled weekend, uh, and uh, make it a uh, great day. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.podcast.com. BobHarden.com.